0: so hi everyone everybody uh, hope everybody is doing safe uh, everyone who is joined the webinar so today's uh, topic that we are going to discuss is uh, impact of covid-19 on businesses and uh, how it is going to impact uh, technology adoption and uh, we have uh, some really great content uh, and discussions uh, for everybody who is joined us so in our panel today we have uh, uh, Mr. Anirudh Damani. So Anirudh is the managing partner at uh, At Earth Venture Fund. Previously Anirudh led the alternative investment arm for his family office, Earth India Ventures. He invested in high-yielding renewable energy projects and into early-stage startups with high growth potential. At Earth India Ventures, Anirudh invested in category-defining startups like Oyo Rooms. Purple, Tala, Now Floats, Mobile, Mobilewala, Rapido, and a lot lot many others. Before this, Anirudh was an entrepreneur in the energy space in the US. He worked with some of the largest energy companies in the world, like Suez Energy, Direct Energy, Constellation, etc. Anirudh is an alumnus of Austin College and Cathedral and John Conan School in Mumbai. He's an average scuba diver with uh, forty plus logged dives. All <laughs> right. He also writes a popular blog on uh, show, show me the money.com Forty plus, uh, <laughs> I think we'll have to take another webinar on what are the good hotspots for diving.
1: Right. Absolutely, it's it's an amazing world. In fact, this year's target was do, was to do fifty dives till you know, COVID nineteen came along and and uh, put pay to those uh, ambitions. But thankfully I did get some dives in in Andaman on a short trip before the whole crisis started.
0: Okay. Got it. Yeah. I've heard Andaman is great. And um, so we also have uh, Jinesh. uh, So Jinesh Shah is uh, co-founded Omnivore with Mark Khan in 2010. Previously, he was vice president and CFO at Nexus Venture Partners, one of India's leading venture capital funds. Earlier in his career, Jinesh worked in corporate finance roles for Datamatics, uh, leading Treasury and m and there, Pakni Computers initiating the IPO process and TCL Technologies, founding the BPO business there. Jinesh is a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council for Food Systems Innovations and a member of the IMC Chamber of Commerce and Industries' Agriculture and Food Processing Committee. Jinesh is a chartered accountant with a Bcom from RA Podar College and an MMS in finance from JDI. So thank you Anirudh and Jinesh for uh, for joining us uh, for this uh, for the webinar. Okay. And uh, quickly about, so I'm Divanga and I am the chief technology and product officer at Predix. Predix is a fintech company. More about us at predix.com. So, um, so I, we'll just start uh dive uh, right down into a couple of uh, fun things. So Janesh, I just wanted to start with you on, uh, you know, on the, on what you've seen since, uh, you know, COVID-19 situation came out, right? So you are, uh, you know, you, you co-founded Omnivore and you have a lot of companies and Omnivore's focus is a lot on agriculture, agri-supply chain, and food products, right? And these are uh, still essential, you know, these are essential commodities and uh, whatever happens to the world, these are things that will definitely be needed. So just wanted to, you know, hear your thoughts on, you know, how did you see, as the situation about COVID-19 developed, how did you see, you know, the companies who are involved in the agri supply chain adapt to, uh, you know, to the rapidly changing situation.
2: Sure, I mean, I mean, which uh, we've really been happen- trying to understand for last three four weeks, right? I mean, uh, I mean, COVID COVID uh, nineteen for most of the industries has been a shock, which probably most of us have not seen something like this in their lifetime, right? So. Uh, for us at Omnivore, this was uh, something which was unexpected, but uh, I think what really helped us out is that uh, our focus remains agriculture sector and most of my companies uh, have been part of the ecosystem, which uh, and none of the companies really had a situation where we were completely shut, right? I mean, the first two, three days when COVID lockdown started out, I think uh, most of us were shed shocked to trying to understand what was happening around it. Uh, but in the next two three days, once you realize that uh, the agriculture sector and the essential commodities are a sector which are open, uh, I think most of the, most of the portfolios start figuring out what is to be done. Uh, broadly, what you have seen uh, is that the government has not uh, stopped any one of our portfolio companies to stop to, on the functioning of it, right? except one or two. Uh, companies with the factory locations were were in areas which were under total lockdown because of uh, the health health scare there. But uh, the other most of the other portfolios were allowed to do the business. So what really uh, the challenge which the companies faced was not from the government, but the bureaucratic levels or the bureaucracies in terms of getting the passes required for the workers to come in or for the employees to deliver the produce to the Uh, uh, to the to the to the customers uh, that was one challenge we faced the second one was the supply chain right i mean uh, even if the goods were ready at the factory gates or the processing centers it was difficult to find drugs and workers to load and unload stuff that was the second challenge Uh, but over the next three four days i mean the first eight ten days of lockdown we could figure out what is to be done and things were stream we're seeing, we're getting streamlined in a a much better manner. Uh, What in some of the cases, the COVID-19 probably is going to bring a significant change in how the business for agriculture is going to work. I mean, we are seeing a trend where farmers are now directly reaching out to consumers. I mean, we all have been saying that middlemen has been taking the maximum chunk of profits from the agri value chain, but For the last few, uh, but in the COVID-19, what we have seen is that farmers are now reaching out or their fields are now reaching out to consumers uh, and using technology to help them out, which is really helping the business to probably maximize profits for the producers and also for the people who are adding value. Uh, On and whole, COVID-19, probably from an agriculture sector perspective, is a short-term shock, but on a medium-term horizon, we think it is going to be flipped to... Use of technology and optimization of supply chain, and this would really help the sector on a midterm basis. That is what broadly we are feeling around Got it.
0: Great. Uh, thanks for that. And we will come back to you know, some of the points that you mentioned around, uh, you know, how technology will change uh, and you know how supply chains will get impacted with technology and how farmers will. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's uh, farmers are reaching directly to the consumers and internet and technology in general has been a great platform for, uh, you know, for getting to ends of a marketplace meeting. So we'll get, we'll come to that point in a bit. But uh, before that, I just wanted to uh, get uh, Anirudh's thought on how he has seen, uh, you know, companies in his portfolio. And uh, so Anirudh, you've been involved in a lot of fintech companies, but also a lot of companies that work with uh, small businesses. Uh, So how, you know, how have you seen, um, you know, these companies adapt to the changing situation in the past couple of months?
1: So, you know, the the best part about entrepreneurship is that we're all eternal optimists at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. We always find a way to come back. We always find a way to make things happen. I think that's what's happened with our portfolio. I think for for the first couple of weeks we were, you know, just like everybody else. Uh, you know, you'll have to go back two or three generations before you can find a similar event that happened on a global scale. Uh, and uh, therefore, you know, there isn't really a comparable. There isn't really much memory to to go upon and say, you know, that this is what's going to happen or that's what's going to happen. It was really an evolving situation. To tell you the truth, uh, actually, our team and I were we were all on a offsite in Goa. The weekend before the one weekend before the the shutdown happened right and uh, it it was only when we got to go and saw the number of uh travelers that were that had canceled their bookings and most places were empty that we started realizing okay there is something serious that's about to happen uh but thankfully i think uh once we came back we, we took the bull by the horns we immediately started making changes to the annual budgets we worked with our entrepreneurs within a week most of them were prepared with uh, three scenarios. Uh, you know, one of which was uh, imagine if you had no revenues from March 15th onwards all the way till June 30th and July, 2020, the revenues would be 25% of what you had in Feb 2020. So if that is a scenario, how long will the cash in your bank account last you? And, uh, and obviously by the time we got done with this exercise, the market was moving five or 10% up or down every day. Like, you know, you don't see that kind of movement in the stock. You are seeing that in the index. Uh, so very unprecedented situations, uh, for the, I think for it is a couple of weeks, we just played it by the year, uh, you know, we, we had a plan in the morning, we were adapting it to by the afternoon. And then we were again, replanning for the next day. Uh, but, but I think within two weeks, one thing started, started to stabilize a lot of our portfolio companies actually adapted new business models. Most of them got used to the work from home situation. Many of them actually streamlined operations, uh, you know, found ways to increase productivity. Uh, many of them opened up new business lines. So we have Everest, who is now operating um, a, uh, a uh, taxi for uh, essential services within Mumbai. So they're actually operating 150 taxis along with the Mumbai police. Uh, we've got Dal Chini, who's currently operating 50, 50 vending machines in, in essential services, IT uh, operations, right? Across uh, Noida and uh, and Gurgaon. And in fact, to Janesh's to point, we actually, I have a personal company that, that I invested in called Farmers FZ which has seen its best revenues ever because they directly take produce from the farmers and, and, and deliver it directly to consumers. Uh, even on the FinTech side, we've seen you know, companies that have found ways to still lend, but do it innovatively, reducing the ticket size, you know, figuring out which uh, people are still gonna be at work, working from home so they, they might be able to still take loans. And I think overall, after a month of being through this entire exercise, I think we'll, it, things look much better we're a lot more comfortable with, with where we are right now. Obviously, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, you know, there is still a lot to be done. Uh, you know, let's see how the government restarts the economy, what kind of incentives are going to come our way, what kind of liquidity is going to, is going to come our way. But I do believe that uh, the crisis has forced us in a way to adopt technology. It was long enough that you could see a permanent shift in habits. And that once we come out of this, you might see an, an, uh, a population that is much more uh, uh, acceptable and much more equipped with, to, you know, accept the digital ways uh, than it was maybe earlier. And and therefore I think anybody, any business that has any kind of a digital aspect has definitely, is definitely going to see some incremental revenue, some incremental growth as we come out of this crisis.
0: Uh, thanks for that. Amit. And um, so J- Janesh coming back to, you know, the point that you were mentioning earlier about, um, you know, how, you know consumers are connecting directly to the producers right so what kind of uh, are you seeing that more in terms of the uh, producers adopting technology in terms of whether it's like some e-commerce platform or you know some digital tools or is it more in terms of uh, consumers getting more aware about uh, how you know, how to get in touch with uh, producers, or is it, some, is it something else? So basically I'm trying to understand how, you know, these two marketplaces are combining.
2: So, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll tell you where the two things. I'm looking at the technology aspects from the producer's perspective. We'll talk about the consumer's second part. Uh, but from the producer's perspective, I think they were using technology, but they were generally using for like WhatsApp or something for the entertainment. They were not using it for the business purposes. For the first time, they felt that the Mondays were not working, they did not know how to sell, and the crop was on the field, right? So they were forced to work with companies which were having a consumer facing role, like could be a Udan or could be a Dihad or Agrostar kind of companies, and they started downing those apps from those companies, giving the information of what is being produced, when is it ready for harvest. They were trying to figure out where where warehouses, using technology, figure out where where warehousing is available, where it can be stored. So producers started using technology for the first time and which was without without any push or any kind of incentives given to the producers. It was a a survival need and they started working on the same. Uh, So that's and I think this is going to help them in, in a long term because what they realize for the first time is that they can directly talk to the consumers or maybe a level just about, consu- uh, about the consumer directly and it saves them the money. It saves, it makes them more profits because they were dependent only on the middlemen or the APMC markets which have been running on a car basis. Uh, so that is where producers have started using technology. They are now using WhatsApp or even Telegram or WeChat just to... You get the information uh, uh, about what is being available, when it is to be sold. In fact, in one of my portfolio companies, they were doing a Zoom call with, with the founder of my portfolio company every day to figure out when, when is the company going to buy the produce from the field or when the company's employee is going to come to the field to pick up the produce so that he can, get, he can start doing the business. So that's something which is a shift and I don't think the producers are going to walk away from that. They're only going to adopt more. From the consumers perspective, I think with this healthcare uh, happening out uh, and I think with the discretionary spend of people going to come down because we think with this crisis, uh, we think India will bounce back, but uh, we will see a lot of discretionary spending for the uh, from the consumers getting reduced. They would focus on essentials, but they will also want to focus on improving the health quotient, right? They would want to eat healthy food. They would want to understand what is being produced, where, 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 how is it produced, what are the consuming around it, and they they would be looking for traceability, looking for complete transparency. So the consumers are going to start demanding this because they are willing to now they will now be willing to pay a slightly a premium for getting this information because they are now worried that about their own health. Right, they would want to get a better better food for their family and better consumption uh, habits, and this in turn is going to enforce the producers start doing what the consumers did because farmers in India have been reacting to the consumer demands, right? They generally will react to what the consumers ask. Uh, so the consumer starts demanding a change in the, in the eating habits of what they are in terms of transparency. We see farmers reacting to the same. Uh, and this trend is going to remain a long-term basis. Uh, we see more farmers using technology to get the data off the on the field and that the same technology platform is going to use to connect to consumers on a direct basis i think this is a trend which we think is is not going to be reversed for some time now
0: thanks thanks for that jinesh uh, so in uh, so Anurudh, in terms of uh, you know, trends and continuing continuing the thread from Janesh, in the past couple of years we have seen a lot of events happening in india that has forced uh, businesses, small businesses, to uh, kind of start adopting technology. Right? We had demonetization, in which uh, there was a big drive, and there is still a big drive to adopt digital payments. Then we had, uh, and we have GST, which uh, you know, for which people had to get used to uh, JSON. I remember, you know, people from my uh, hometown, you know, they were saying, "What is JSON?" They want engineering. May, you know, what is JSON? You know, we don't know what Jason, right. So, uh, but things have changed a little bit. Uh, you know, people have adopted it a little bit to a certain extent, uh, but again, like the peak that had happened in a lot of these adoptions have kind of uh, come down. So uh, wanted to know, understand from you, like in terms of when, uh, you know, in the past experience that you have that that you've seen with working with your companies, Uh, And, you know, the customers of those companies, how do you think, uh, you know, as Janesh was mentioning, there is uh, this digital adoption happening across the uh, different sectors. So what do you think will stick? What do you think? uh, And why would you think some aspects will stick and why it won't?
1: No, I, I think uh, Jinesh brought up a very, very important point, right? That uh, the farmers, right? That they were, they were not using these digital tools that, you know, they would come to, that would come to even for, for to us for funding. Cause I didn't really see that they were forced to use them. There wasn't really a need for them, right? There was always a good to have kind of a situation, not a need to have. But what this crisis has done is taken those good to haves and put them right bank center and made them need to have. And, and while, you know, like a large part of the population, like the farmer coming back, coming into the digital fold is a huge fill up to the agri-tech sector, right? Or, or uh, if you look at on the fintech side, we believe most banks in India were lagging far, far, far behind the fintech revolution, right? Or you had all these fintech companies uh, and, and even if I look at it as a fund for myself, uh, you know, dealing with the bank was the biggest pain point in itself, right? So while we were trying to bring in the best technologies and... We're supporting all these amazing tech companies. If you tried working with the bank itself, it would be so difficult, right? I mean, they were still working on archaic systems. I can still remember that HDFC required me to have some sort of a digital key that had to be downloaded only to my laptop. And if I, if I changed my laptop, I could not access my bank, corporate bank accounts. And, and that was their way of calling it security. Uh, but now you're seeing that even HDFC today is willing to take a verified email to make transactions happen this was unheard of in the past, right? Hi to Ganesha's daughter, by the way. And I think this, this, this is a direct, uh, you know, uh, impact of why, you know, this, this digital thing is gonna do to the population. Even if I go back to the ed tech sector, right? I, and this is what I was on a conf, I was on a webinar about a week or so ago. And we we're discussing that earlier, you know, all these tools that, that entrepreneurs were creating for teachers to get better at teaching, the teachers never wanted to use them for again, for them, it was, it was, they were almost scared to use those tools. And many times, you know, the teacher herself would look uh, foolish trying to use a digital tools because they weren't actually born and brought up on this kind of technology. Right. But however, if you look at what this crisis has done, it's forced them to utilize those tools It's forced them to become more digital, uh, you know, uh, friendly. And when they come out of it and you're looking at some of this stuff happening in Wuhan now, and that when they come out of it, schools, Colleges, even principals, even teachers are much more willing to use digital tools because they've been using it for 60 days to do their job. And I see that kind of, those kind of things are going to stick, right? Yes, there's going to be temporary things like, you know, people getting used to uh, digital newspapers versus physical newspapers, whether that's going to stick in the real world after that, are you going to go back to, uh, you know, uh, do I see my father continuing to use a PDF newspaper versus, you know, cutting snippets out of physical newspapers? I think I, I don't see that sticking on very long. Uh, unless of course, this is like a six to nine month kind of a shutdown. Shut I don't see that happening, but yes, I do believe that a lot of sectors where things were, were, were good to have these little tools that were good to have to make you, make you more productive, to make you more, uh, make you better at the job. Those are going to change and going to become neat to have. And you're going, and those are the sectors that are going to do very, very well. I mean, I, I think they sort of took what was going to happen four years or five years later and it suddenly is bang right here. And, and, uh, if anybody was an investor in one of these things, it's it's going to be a great time to be uh, be on that cap table. Right.
0: Um, and uh, so Janesh, uh, you you also uh, mentioning about you know, how a lot of things in the agri supply chain is changing, right? But so agriculture, the way it has been working, you know, with the, all the middlemen and Monday, and you know, that has been kind of ingrained in. Uh, in the mindset and the business model for you know decades, if not centuries. Right? So do you think uh, so? While you know tool adoption is one aspect, but uh, do you also think that you know the fundamental business models uh, are also going to change for uh, in agriculture, or is it the same business model that will kind of uh, get a layer of technology?
2: Look, I think uh, I think that this this situation is going to mean, um, the, the event has made people change how they are doing the business of agriculture i mean farmers never used to speak to anyone beyond the aratiyas who sell the produce today those aratiyas are not functioning and who are functioning are the small startups or companies like dehat maybe dehat uh, i mean companies like Pudan, companies like nijacart they are reaching out to end consumers right people are asking how, I mean, I mean, companies are now even supplying to Kirana stores directly just to get things moving because the markets were not working. The APMC markets were not functioning the way it should be done, right? And what has really happened is that this is the time where this, the, the, the small startups, the, the startups have been able to create a, a positive feedback with the farmers because they are helping the farmers at the time when their crisis was the highest. These startups are also well connected with technology. So, the farmers are now looking for some kind of credit appraisals. I mean, the Aratyas used to squeeze them out. They used to give them loans on interest and probably far option rates, right? Now, with the startups, working with other startups, they've been able to manage somehow to give the farmers a credit, give farmers payment in three, four days' time frame. I mean, and that is where the farmers have got a huge positive Understanding of what the startups are functioning. They are, they now realize that startups are not running away. So, and for the first time, farmers will really get paid much more than what they used to get from the traders. Today, if the farmers have produced on the field and they go to a trader, Trader knows the plight of the farmers, he's going to demand at a much lower price than what a company, which is funded by startup, funded startups, they would pay the farmers the right price, what they used to be given. They will help farmers, they will connect to farmers in not more ways than the Aratiyas were doing in the past. So, I don't think this is going to change. And this business model is there going to remain because for the first time, farmers are directly talking to consumers, which never happened in the history of farming in the last few centuries. So, this is a fundamental change. And I think this will continue. I mean, because farmers are ma- making more money than they made in the past, I don't see a reason why they would go back to the old ways and start making less money and get exploited. I mean, that's my submission right now.
1: I think Jinesh is also a great time for fintech companies to reach out to farmers, right, and start offering
2: more solutions. I think that's that's the way, right? I mean, reaching if the farmers need money. There is no dearth of capital on the road right now with the farmers. The dearth of capital is at the right interest rates. So if the FinTech companies are able to provide farmers at 14, 15% kind of interest rates rather than 35 or 28, 29% interest rates, then you are in the long game. I mean, you're in the long haul because farmers would love to work with you because one, you give them more ability to connect to consumers. You give more options because tech startups are much more smarter than Arathya uh, would be drawn. And if you're able to give it the right price point, the farmer starts making more money than he had ever made in the past. So we we'll would continue doing it. I think if someone has money today, I think we should go to farmers today and say, I'll be willing to give loans to you. It
1: makes a lot of sense. I yeah. completely agree. Uh, so
0: it's also said, you know, uh, so there, there was this uh, you know, interview by uh, you know, from the head of uh, IHMR uh, Dr. Raman, uh, he mentioned that, uh, you know, the COVID will come in waves, right? So there'll be a peak and then it will kind of go down, then it will come back up and then go down. So what are you suggesting your, uh, you know, kind of the founders and the leaders that you're working with to, uh, you know, to focus on what, what is, uh, you know, how are you asking them to think about and deal with this?
2: So, I mean, one thing you're told our founders is to stop worrying about the financial planning right now because I don't think anyone has enough data to do any financial planning. So, you asked them to reduce the cash burns and everything that has been done. But what we are asking to focus is on the operational supply chain. Because rightly mentioned by you that COVID will come in waves. Uh, so, and it is possible that India would not go for 100% lockdown, but the places where your businesses or your customers are might be in a lockdown because of the containment uh, issues. So, we are asking all our portfolio companies to figure out if they can decentralize their supply chain. In terms of from the areas where they are getting the produce and in terms of the number of customers where they are located. If they can diversify everything and keep their trucks and everything scattered across locations rather than centralized locations, that would be the best hedge for them because we don't know which, which part of the country would get into lockdown because of the COVID scare. So I mean that's what we've been suggesting. At the same time, we've been asking our businesses to uh, empathize with the employees by saying that guys, we don't need to fire people every time because there's a crisis. We're getting out of way saying that if the business was supposed to be done at 100, and if you're doing at 60, can we pay them 60% of salary? The business is 120%. Can we can we pay them 120%? Tax? And whatever the gap is, can we give them in terms of ESOPs so that whenever the company is company's business improves, they can be compensated in the future. Uh, So we're trying to work both ways because without uh, an empowered and passionate team, no amount of supply chain preparedness would help. We have a great supply chain preparedness, but the team is not motivated. I think it will falter in execution. So we've been trying to work on ways saying that how do we make the supply chain more decentralized at the same time work with employees because I mean, without employees, nothing worth having. I
0: mean. And another, uh, how about you? What are you asking? Uh, yeah. Anything else that you I are, think?
1: Uh, yeah, I think on the cost end, I think we're, I think most VCs are all aligned, right? We're all on the same page that we don't really know how this is going to end. when this is going to end? So the most important thing is that you survive, right? And uh, so we've told most of our companies to cut any kind of unnecessary expenditures. Right. Uh, one of our companies actually just did what Dinesh was talking about, which is they, they cut their salary bill by 40, by 60%. right? So they become 40% of their original salary bill. Uh, and they've given ESOPs in return to, to, the, to the employees saying that you guys are, are our partners now. You guys are now investors in our company. It's just that you've given us your, your salary instead of actual cash. Uh, and then now their runway is extended for almost another 15 months. So, so it's a 21 month runway all of a sudden. Uh, and I think, I think those are the kind of innovative ideas that are going to come out. Uh, and, and on the revenue side, you know, we're being, we're being cautiously optimistic. I think, I think in, there will be see demand, I believe there's going to be some destruction, but there's also going to be a lot of delayed demand, right? There's still going to be some people who are getting paid and, and they've not made any discretionary spend in the last two, three months. Right. And, and therefore they've not gone out. They've, they people have received refunds for their travel expenses. Uh, people that book vacations for the summer suddenly have that money in their bank account. They're not going to go out. Uh, you will see a lot of domestic travel going to happen. I see a lot of, lot of changes there that people may not want to travel to an Italy or a Spain or, or, or to China for the fear of, you know, the kind of spread that happened over there. But you, so you might see a boost in domestic travel, right? So you got to be prepared for that. And I think that's what we're telling our companies that just make sure that you're there when this thing turns around, because it will turn around, right? right? but you cannot be in a situation where, you know, things turn around. You have no capital left. You cannot make any expenditures. You cannot go out there and capture business. And, and when you are ready to fundraise, you don't even have enough timeline to let an incoming investor do due diligence. And then you're doing, you know, you're sort of doing rounds that are heavily discounted and you're giving up too much equity. You look desperate, right? Uh, so for most of the companies, you said, listen, 15 to 18 months of money required in the bank account. You start fundraising if you need to probably in Jan of next year. And then you give it to to, to June to September of next year to close the round and whatever money you need for that, it doesn't matter what valuation you get. If you get a flat round, consider, consider that to be three X up valuation, but take the money and make sure you survive. If you die within this process, no one's going to come and save your business. I don't think even think many companies will even see like an acquire higher situation happening if they die in the next 18 months. So they have to stay alive. They have to stick, stick it out. And I think once this thing turns around they, you know, when the sun finally comes out, uh, if you're alive, you will definitely prosper.
0: So uh, we'll take up a couple of uh, questions that have uh, streamed down from the audience. And uh, so audience, who, uh, anybody who's listening, please uh, you know, ask your questions uh, in the Q and A uh, so that we can kind of uh, you know, group them together and ask it and uh, you know, ask similar theme questions in one go. So there are uh, some questions around, uh, so there are some questions which are very sector specific, which, uh, you know, we can get into a little later, but there is one question around the impact uh, on rural India. So a lot of the news that is coming up, uh, like whether it's Bombay, Delhi, uh, you know, all the hotspots there, they're they're very focused on the, uh, you know, on the urban India, but uh, do you see or do you, you know, have a sense about what is the impact happening in the the rural area and, uh, you know, how are they uh, addressing this?
2: I mean, if I, I'll take a stab at that. uh, I think, uh, if I look at rural India, I think the agriculture sector probably is going to make profits this year. They're going to grow significantly. Uh, And I think with the way the liquidity is going to come in the agri sector, in the rural markets, I think I would see a spurt in demand in the rural India. Uh, one because there is less incidence of COVID there because of the natural social distancing in the rural India, uh, 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 and second, I think with, with the agri sector hopefully reviving and probably uh, also looks to be good. I think in the rural India, I see the demands to be coming up back. I mean, I don't see a dip in the demand. Uh, so. And also rural India is mainly about the essentials, right? I mean, in urban India, people do a lot of spending on lifestyle, lifestyles, when the rural India is mainly about essentials and focusing on solving your basic needs, I mean, and that is going, is going to continue. So I think the rural India should be okay, right? I mean, we will have some supply chain issues, but overall I think the market should be fine
1: do you think that there could be a situation where some of uh, the rural people in rural India could start doing discretionary spends? Probably go up a little bit, a couple of categories in terms of spending. Generally,
2: it really happens in the harvest. If the harvest remains good, I think you would see people would do discretionary spend, like buying a buying a motorbike, so buying something which is useful for them. I don't see you spending them like the urban India and saying, "I'm going to spend money on travel and." spend on living in a five-star hotel, I think that's going to not be there. Uh, but I might see a two-wheelers uh, spurt in demand. I would see uh, increase in the uh, spend for the education, online education happening in the rural India because a lot of people, kids who have to come and go to, go to urban cities for studying and now will we'll try to figure out if they can use around that. So those kind of spend would really happen around it. Uh, But not the tertiary kind of spending that I want to go and spend, have an experience living in in some of the exotic places, that's not going to happen. Thank you. Uh,
0: So the other question is, uh, you know, more on sectors, uh, winners and losers. So there are, you know, some uh, sectors which are uh, winning a lot in, for example, in edtech and gaming. Uh, you know, more in terms of you know where people have been working. You know, have, can use it from while working from home. Uh, while there are some other sectors like you know hotels, hospitality, travels, which are stressed out and you know there's not a lot of bookings happening there. So, but uh, w- like what? So, but there are a lot of sectors in the middle, like from food and uh, deliveries to fashion. Um, so. Do you think uh, even manufacturing, you know, where there are reports that a lot of some of the manufacturing companies have already started, uh, you know, doing manufacturing again, or you know, they started. Doing- so, uh, any specific uh, takes on uh, you know, sectors which are not that obvious? Uh, I
2: think, I think this is a lot of lot of people have answer these questions. I think most of these sectors like food, I think there is a high amount of discretionary spending required would take some time to, to revive, but I don't think it's going to be like a complete stark dark, darkness in the Indian context, right? Uh, India would see some, some amount of like what I mentioned that we might see an increase of domestic travel rather than the international travel because people would still want to take some vacations. People would want to do it. Maybe they want to do it at a lower cost. Maybe that's how India is going to react to uh, it. Anything which is luxury might take a longer term, but anything which is good to have it, people would start using in the next three to six months. It's not the country is economically shattered, right? It's probably, it's probably induced just to ensure that our health portion doesn't go below, below, below the normal point.
1: You know, I I think neobanking could be a very big sector that takes off in this, in this situation, right? Because crowding at banks and and now going to a bank to transact, I think that's going to be, uh, that adoption is going to go down. And because we're getting more used to digital, you might see people much more open to, you know, uh, opening up a bank account without actually visiting a center. And I think even the banks from their part may also be open to working with neobanks and ensuring that, you know, uh, they can easily service a customer without actually having them come inside the branch. And those that could be another
0: sector that I believe could do very well. Thanks for those uh, inputs. So uh, also, uh, so Anurag, uh, there are a lot of questions uh, which are coming in from a lending, financing, uh, fintech perspectives, right? So things like, uh, you know, where do you think farmers can get a lower rate, or how are fintech going to adapt, uh, you know, or change their you know, risk model or underwriting practices uh, based on these situations. So, uh, you know, and, you know, I know you work with, you work with a couple of, uh, you know, fintech companies and uh, credit companies as well. So how are they thinking about this, you know, especially, you know, for, uh, for small businesses or maybe also, I don't know if they work with agriculture sector or not, but also, you know, on that aspect.
1: You know, in, in um, so I, I know, for example, one of our lending companies stopped lending to uh, delivery riders and to people working inside malls about 15 days before before the lockdown, right, because they saw that this could be a stressed out sector. Um, but I think when it comes to businesses and when it comes to uh, even your daily wage worker requiring some liquidity to get started. Uh, your Kirana stores, uh, things like that. I think the government will have to step in and sort of backstop some of these loans. I think there is, there is risk capital, but the the question really comes in is that, you know, if, if, if this crisis, you say, supposing we have a W-shaped recovery, so, you, you know, we open up, things sort of recover and then it spreads again and we again have a, you know, a fall, uh, a lot of these companies may not be able to survive uh, this kind of a double drop. In that situation, the you know where does the government come in? Do, do we have some sort of a credit credit assurance guarantee fund or some sort of an insurance against uh, these kind of crises? And until and unless we see that happening, I don't see the you know return of lending in a big way, right? I, I think there'll obviously some, be some opportunistic lending. Uh, Interest rates are going to go up because the risk is so high. Uh, but if we want that to taper down, if we want if the government uh, wants uh, lending to return in a big way and get sort of the economy restarted. I think they'll have to pump in some liquidity. Uh, without that, I don't see you know how uh, how lending companies are going to uh, you know write with the same uh, assurance or with the same confidence that they did before the crisis started. I think that's going to be a big lacuna which the government will have to fix. I, I don't think it's between your. I don't think within the VC ecosystem we have enough money to to make that happen. Uh,
0: so- uh, next thing is around around the use of technology, which is you know kind of uh, springing up uh, now, right? So there were there have been a couple of demos, uh, you know, given to governments, you know, which some have been publicly televised, uh, some more close to, and also you know some of these solutions which have been effective to contain COVID nineteen uh, outside India has been around a uh, lot of data collection, analyzing, you know, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, for example, people who have, been, who have traveled abroad or who have come in contact with other uh, you know, other uh, patients, you know, are quarantined and com- uh, and contained, right? And tracking their movements so that they're not uh, going out in cloud bases or things like that. Like even Apple and Google announced a joint venture a couple of days ago where uh you know they've said it's very you know I, I i'll believe them with a pinch of salt but they said it's uh you know it respects privacy to a large extent while also being able to provide these kind of uh you know while providing technology to uh, to help in contact tracing so, uh, so so while so essentially the question here is is there a Trade-off that people will have to make between privacy and, uh, let's say, and healthcare, or uh, you know, privacy and something which should be a fundamental right for them at the end of the day.
1: Janice, you want to take this one?
2: You can take. It, I'll do
1: Okay. So I, I see. I uh, again, this is. Uh, I've always believed privacy is a myth because. Uh, if you want better services if you want better uh, uh, if you want a better quality of life privacy is 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 what you give up for it right so uh, i'll give a very simple example if you want to live in a in in a in a, uh, a one star hotel right without room service without anything you get a lot lot more privacy than living in a five star where a guy comes to your room three times a day to clean it and knows everything else that is going on so it's the price you pay and i think that even today like how sure are we that we with all the privacy laws in place, are they all being followed every couple of years? There is some company who who says that something got leaked or they had some changes. They didn't realize it was giving out so much information. And in that sense, I do not see that, 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 you know, we're living in a myth that there is a privacy, that there's someone who's checking everything, but the pace at which technology is growing. I don't think any government organization has, you know, can even understand what's really happening at a Facebook or what's happening at, at, at a Google or what's happening at even at Apple. Uh, that being said, I think, uh, when it comes to healthcare, you know, we could, we have figured out this crisis if we had better quality data. I'm pretty sure we could have, but then again, we, we were dealing with this crisis in a country that doesn't really open up its databases, right. Or, or, you know, for the, for, for the lack of better words, probably changing up what, what really the data exists over there. So we should, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I, I think, I think, uh, uh, we would love to know uh, if there was somebody around us that has a COVID-19 case. Uh, in, in most cases, the government has created databases for this. Uh, and obviously that, that could be taken as an invasion of privacy, but without that information, would we be as secure traveling? Would you really want to know if the next time you were on a plane, whether the guy next to you uh, showed some COVID-19 uh, you know, symptoms? Would you want to know? Would you not want to know? Or that he was next to somebody that had one, uh, or, or met somebody that was asymptomatic for that? I think we'll have to give up some of our privacy for that to happen. And we should be comfortable with that, at least in this current case, till we find a vaccine. I think all bets are off once the vaccine is found.
2: I mean, I completely agree with Anirudh. I think uh, privacy is a myth, right? I think if you really want to assure yourself of traceability and transparency, I think you give up your privacy. I mean, Anyways, I'm not sure I agree with Anirudh we have all of our things have been kept private or not because I see Google measuring us every time where we travel, where we not travel. They capture all our moments there. I mean, I mean, I'm sure people will be doing it with or without our permissions. I mean.
0: Maybe explicitly saying it out as, you know, will also help build trust rather than just kind of yes, who cares, right?
2: I mean, in this country, I mean, five years ago, we used to pee and shit in the open, right? And we all talk <laughs> about privacy. Right.
0: Uh, right. So, uh, so another question. we we recently done, did a survey with a lot of CFOs uh, that we work with, right? And one of, so apart from you know some of the standard, uh, maybe not standard, but you know some pertinent issues that they typically face. So One of the, uh, almost twenty five to thirty percent CFOs mentioned that one of uh, their issues is that a lot of the laborers are migrating. migrant laborers are migrated back to their hometowns, right? And so now these, uh, you know, kind of villages which were not probably built to accommodate such a population are getting stressed. While at the same time, um, you know, the urban centers, which were banking on these, uh, you know, these folks are not able to manage, are not able to get the help that they need. So uh, so I, I guess a split question there, one is, Uh, Do you think, uh, and there were already a lot of focus on the, you know, the NBO uh, and the sector, the next billion user sector uh, in in India. So do you think that is going to accelerate uh, or is this a temporary phenomenon? So the question is around how is the tech adoption in the rural areas, not specifically to farming or not agriculture, but how is this how is the COVID situation going to affect the tech adoption in rural India? whether it's for healthcare education whatever it might be
2: I mean uh, I'll take a stab at this I mean if I take a look uh, what really has happened the last five six years of the advent of geo coming in data access is there in the country for the first time right so that is something which is not taken care across the country uh, second if you take a look the migration of in in migration in india is not going to stop because people will go where there is money i mean there could be a temporary phenomenon that people would go back to villages but they would go where there, there is an employment generation there right so if, if indian government uses this covid-19 crisis to hit a generation generation of employment in the rural india and then people would not come back to urban areas and urban areas was slightly less, less pressure on the, of the people. But if that doesn't happen, I think I don't see a trend, a reverse trend of urbanization not happening. I mean, I, I think urbanization is going to happen for sure. If there are three and a half road people doing construction in this country, I mean, where is the construction going to happen? Making the new urban areas. It's not going to stop, right? But if you're able to generate, create opportunities of employment, maybe in terms of FinTech, what are for banking. Maybe a lot of banking correspondents, people start using banking correspondents. I mean, something like that sort of thing happens or maybe the government uses the entire rural India excess of agriculture produce to start doing food processing in the country and amount, increase the amount of food processing in the country. Maybe you could see some kind of employment being generated in that part of the country as well. But on a long term basis, I think the uh, the migration issue, people will go back, come back in two, three months and life has to go on, right? I mean, it's not end of the world. So I don't see a major change happening in the migration piece of the, of the country. I mean.
1: You know, I mean, just to add to Janesh's point, and, and I think he made this point earlier as well, that in rural India, most people are living for, on the essentials. And they're not really going after the discretionary spends. So I don't see a driver who was paying 20,000 rupees or 22,000 rupees in Mumbai. Right. And then being able to run a household in rural India, how is he going to do that same thing by living in in rural India, right? I think eventually the economics are going to come into play and he will have to come back to the city, right? No one in, no one in a tier four, tier five, tier six town is going to pay him 25,000 rupees a month to run, to drive a car, right? Most of the places won't even have drivers, right? Most people won't. Uh, So in that case, where does he go? Right. He's going to come back to the city. Yes, there's going to be a temporary disruption. A lot of people really got, uh, you know, because of the interstate lockdowns got stuck and they've had to walk kilometers and kilometers. So you might have a very small part of the population that may not come back, but eventually the economics are going to come back into play. You definitely get paid higher in the city, uh, which you know, and that, that, uh, that arbitrage between working in the city and, and living in rural India is, is going to come back into play. And uh, I I think it might take one or two quarters, but the supply chain is going to come back and economics will eventually drive everything uh, back to the city.
0: So we'll, uh, I know there are a lot of questions, but I think we are running out of time. Uh, I know I promised Janesh that we'll do this within 40 minutes and we have already, we're already at 50 minutes mark. So we'll try to keep it short. Uh, So last two questions, one, the first one for Anurudh. Uh, so there's a question around what could be the short-term and long-term impacts on renewable energy. anurudh I know you've been in the sector, you've worked on the sector for, uh, you know, for some time. And so how do you think, uh, you know, this is going to impact the, invest, you know, impact, uh, this is going to have an impact on the renewable energy?
1: I think there's, there could be a dual impact. And thank you so much for this question. Uh, first of all, I think because most businesses are gonna see a couple of quarters of washout, uh, it's a proven thing now that uh, solar energy, uh, distributed solar energy on top of rooftops is, is a much cheaper operate, uh, much cheaper cost for uh, commercial and industrial, industrial uh, companies compared to buying from the grid. Right? And so I think there may be a better adoption over there that uh, and in fact, we've seen in our energy business that we've had incoming inquiries, even from listed companies, that are saying, hey, "Listen, we want as many rooftops as we have. Can you please put up solar projects over there? Because the cost is 20%, 30%, in some cases 60% cheaper than buying from the grid." Uh, so I definitely see that that there will be better, uh, you know, there will be more incoming inquiries for for setting up OPEX projects. I think there'll be a, a marked broad marked decrease in capEx projects where, where companies are going to put in their own capital to put up solar projects because you know many of them are going to be stressed, many of them are required to pay salaries while there's no revenue coming in. Uh, however, I, I definitely would warn anybody that's on the OpEx side and giving out capital uh, while you know it, it's going to seem like there is so much inquiries coming in. This is your time to really increase your underwriting skills, understand if those businesses are going to survive. If there is a w-shaped recovery, And you've made an investment just at the peak of the W, right? And then it goes back down. You could see a complete loss of capital. Any OPEX project, and I think this is uh, something I learned from my time in the U.S., is is when we were selling long-term five-year, six-year, seven-year energy rate projects, uh, the the supplier would always credit qualify the the buyer of the energy. And the idea was that, can he actually make this payment for five years? Or is this business going to shut down in five years? And I'm going to be left with a long-term contract. But I have to unwind it into the market. So similarly, if you're setting up a 15-year solar power project on someone's rooftop and their business may not exist in seven years, every single you know metric you've shown that I'm gonna make money back on this project is gonna be is gonna be negative. It's gonna be wrong. So you have to bring in you know better underwriting skills, you have to be much more cognizant of where you're putting in the money. And if the business is not gonna survive the length of the time your project is on their rooftop, better to say no than to say yes and then and then worry about it later.
0: Great. thanks and uh, so last question and i think we can't let you guys go with two vcs on the panel you know this is something that is bound to come so what do you think are the next uh, you know the new opportunities that uh, you know that will emerge out of uh, you know this kind of unpredictable uh, you know this, this situation and uh, you know and if you guys can share whether you guys are already you know are actively investing or not and what are the criteria, or if the criteria have changed uh, for you to invest in uh, because of uh, COVID 19?
2: Sure, I'll take a first step at that. I think uh, areas which the sectors which we think uh, investment is going to pick up is healthcare, education, anything which can be done using technology and can reduce the cost. I think those are sectors which people would want to invest. Uh, I am focused on agriculture sector and we think this crisis is going to bring more opportunities for people to use technology in the agriculture sector. So we're going to keep investing uh, in the sector. But uh, in the initial, I mean, when we, when the, without the crisis, we used to worry about break even happening three to five years. Now we would, we're not really sure whether we want to fund companies where the breakthrough is going to happen in three to five years. We're going to look at genuine business models, which can start delivering value for the customers and make money for itself. Uh, we think uh, as a fund, we will continue to make investments, uh, but we will set the bar much higher than what you to in the past, right? We will wait for the real business model, look for execution teams and uh, and figure out if things people can work out even in such situations like COVID. I mean.
1: I I think I'll take a segue just from Janet. I think I think adaptability of the founder is that question today. And if we don't see, and what we really want to see is that founders that have quickly adapted uh, to the situation, they they've either uh, figured out how to cut costs, they figured out how to how to you know find new revenue lines, and and they've overall been uh, with it, right? They've not they've not lagged it. They've been ahead of the ahead of the crisis at all points. And I think those kind of things really are going to be part of our decision making moving forward. Uh, because I don't see how this is just one-off thing; it could become a recurring event for us. Uh, in terms of writing checks, we're still writing checks. In fact, we just signed a term sheet. Uh, in fact, we should be signing a term sheet in the next couple of hours. So the the money the money flow is still on from our side. Uh, yes, we are much more uh, vigilant on the valuations. We always were. Uh, and in terms of burn, uh, you know, typically I never I never wrote checks into businesses that had massive burns at the start. Uh, you know, we can understand growth spending, but we don't understand develop huge development spends uh, so in that way you know i think that policy has paid us well in, in throughout you know i've been through three recessions now in the last 10 years and every single time you know those businesses have have uh, have done well i think there could be a huge business uh, opportunity in b2b companies that are taking other businesses digital first and i think those, those are the those are the, some of the companies we're looking at uh, investing into but again, I, we haven't really found that one company that really is going to make it happen. But hopefully in the next uh, 30 to 60 days, we'll find something that we can really dig our te- teeth into and that can take other SMEs online and there could be a, grow- a huge money-making opportunity over there.
0: Thanks guys. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for this. Uh, just wanted to give you, uh, give uh, under the another couple of seconds. Anything else that you want to cover or if people want to you know follow you or hear your thoughts on you know on anything where can they find you on let's say any 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 place where they can find you on you know, twitter
1: blogging anything else uh, you can find me everywhere uh, i always use the 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 nickname show me the money s h uh, o w m e d a m a n i so i'm on active on twitter active on linkedin um, in terms of I think any parting comments from my side would be would be like, guys, whether you have money in the bank account, whether it's five lakhs, five crores, or fifty crores, you have to make it run for the next 18 months, and and your survival is the most important thing, uh, more than anything else, right? If you did not grow at all for the next 18 months, but you survived the 18 months and you were ready for ready ready to and you were doing business and you were still, you know, able to survive this this really tough period, I think that there's a lot of respect for that. And you'll find, uh, you know, it'll be this case where, you know, people want to come and invest into you because you're resilient, because you're smart and because you're dab. I think that's, that. those are the ending thoughts from my side.
2: So from my perspective, I mean, best way is to write an email because that remains on the mailbox and I can respond on time. Uh, social media, I'm available, but uh, it's, it's very short response time. So uh, I would prefer emails or the social media. Uh, on terms of the... Uh, Parting comments, I mean, it's like, guys, this, I mean, this crisis has happened, right? I mean, we all, we all could say good things, but we never knew what happened. So, first is to figure out how you're going to survive for this. And I mean, time always changes, right? It's a tough time. It's, it's going to change. I mean, wait for one, two, three quarters, four quarters, and I think we'll be back to normal. So, it's not end of the world. We just have to hang around and hopefully we'll, we'll make through it, I mean, on the other side.
0: Awesome. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks, Janesh. Thanks, Anirudh, uh, for joining us. Stay safe. Uh, stay healthy. Um, uh, audience, uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, comments on this, please uh, send us an email on connectedcredits.com. Uh, if you have any panelist-specific questions for Janesh or Anirudh, you can send it to them directly uh, on what they mentioned, or you can send it to us and we forward it to them.
2: Um,
0: and everyone here, also please uh, stay safe. And uh thanks for joining in. The, the feed. the video of this will be available on YouTube. So I think. Uh yeah, just ask, just send us an email on connectedcredics.com. We'll get
2: back to you on that as well.
1: Thanks guys. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you so much, Devang. Thank you so much, Jinesh.